nobody told me that there were goblins running around in my body. Sex hormone binding goblins. Hello and happy Halloween. Welcome to Hormone Bestie. We are officially in season two and I couldn't think of a better day to start with some hormone health talk on these spooky goblins. Now, this is the podcast for you if you are working on your hormone health, you are on your fertility journey trying to get pregnant or want to get pregnant in the next couple years, or if you are just a menstruator and you're trying to understand your body better. And I'm so thankful to have you here and thank you for listening. Now, before you go running to your doctor and saying that I said you have goblins, what we are actually talking about today is sex hormone binding globulins, a super important protein in your body that is made by the liver. We're just making it more fun today. So I do want to be honest with you. This episode started out as solely being about sex hormone binding globulins and the importance in our bodies, but it soon shifted to be about so much more. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, and how this affects our bodies, androgens, and yes, the goblins. Because both of these things, androgens and sex hormone binding globulins, can be incredibly important in PCOS. As a quick reminder, these podcasts are for educational purposes only and are not meant to be used as personalized advice or guidance. So to start, what even is PCOS? PCOS is a hormonal condition that can occur during the reproductive years. Contrary to the name though, not all people with PCOS actually present with polycystic ovaries or multiple cysts on their ovaries. We actually don't know what the exact cause of PCOS is, though some do believe that things like insulin resistance, inflammation, genetics, excess production of androgens are important to consider. In fact, common symptoms of PCOS are things like irregular periods, excess androgens, or symptoms of excess androgens, such as severe acne, oily skin, facial and body hair, also called hirsutism, and male pattern baldness. Weight gain in the belly area, polycystic ovaries, and infertility are also symptoms. If it wasn't obvious, PCOS is a big deal. Not that it isn't possible to work with it and improve all of these symptoms, and the PCOS itself through nutrition, lifestyle factors, and sometimes medication if appropriate, but it is a big deal in that these symptoms should not be ignored or put off until they are unbearable. But when it comes to PCOS, sometimes we get caught up in trying to understand and we focus a lot on specific symptoms rather than taking a look at the whole picture. So today I do want to take some time to look at that whole picture. There also isn't one test that is used to diagnose PCOS, and even the diagnosis is really piecing together different symptoms and test results to come to a conclusion that we hope is helpful. Now I'm not saying this is bad, but it can make it more difficult to get a diagnosis depending on what someone presents with, and sometimes it can feel really frustrating to go through this whole process. To get a diagnosis of PCOS, a person generally needs two of the following three things depending on what criteria is being used. Hyperandrogenism, which is having excess androgens in the body, oligomenorrhea, or infrequent periods, and polycystic ovaries, all of which are super important for hormone health and fertility. So let's dig a bit deeper and start with talking about our little goblins, sex hormone binding globulins, which I will also be referring to as SHBG, just so that I don't get too tongue-tied in this episode. As you may have guessed from the name, they are responsible for binding certain sex hormones, those sex hormones being estrogen, dihydrotestosterone, and testosterone. And this matters 
because SHBG affects how much testosterone is free in the body. SHBG levels can naturally shift through someone's life. This is normal. For example, they are normally higher prior to puberty and during pregnancy. And SHBG isn't just checked all willy-nilly in people, but some recent studies have shown that it may be helpful when considering PCOS, especially if someone is showing signs of high androgen levels, and other lab tests maybe aren't showing the big picture. But we will get more into androgens and all that jazz soon. SHBG might be tested for someone to see how much testosterone is in the body, and this is because about 65% of testosterone is bound to SHBG and about 1-2% to of it is free in the body, and the rest is bound to albumin, which is just another transport protein in the body. So what does it mean that it's bound together? I want you to imagine testosterone and sex hormone binding globulins hugging together super tightly. Testosterone might want to take a little break and come up for air and just generally be free to do its own thing, but SHBG or albumin aren't letting it do that. Only about 1-2% to of all the testosterone in the body get to go out on their own, be free, maybe hit up some karaoke in your body, and get you fired up. SHBG really wants to hold on to androgens like testosterone and dihydrotestosterone. Now, you may have also heard of DHEA, dehydroepiandosterone, which is another androgen that is commonly discussed in PCOS and is a precursor to estrogen and testosterone. DHEA is one that you will see fairly often when talking about PCOS and is certainly important in its own regard and can be elevated in PCOS. And while they're often referred to as a male sex hormone, they're also important in the female reproductive system. Elevated androgens can be incredibly frustrating for those with PCOS because this might affect irregular hair growth and hair growth in abnormal places such as the chin, oily skin, acne, weight gain, and menstrual irregularities, just to name a few things. Excess androgens may also make insulin resistance worse in PCOS and then turn around and make hyperandrogenism worse, turning into a metabolic Ferris wheel of issues that keeps going round and round until you feel like crap. Speaking of Ferris wheels, excess androgens can also decrease the amount of SHBG in the blood, which then increases how much testosterone is free, just making the situation worse. And it's not that androgens are bad. In fact, they are really important in the body. Sometimes in PCOS, it's just possible to have a significant amount more of them than we would ideally like. SHBG can help this by binding free androgens in the body and consequently improving hyperandrogenism and insulin resistance. SHBG literally affects so many aspects of our bodies and our general health, including cholesterol and fat metabolism, insulin resistance, glucose metabolism, fertility, and hormone regulation. And while it may seem like one little thing in our body, it's obviously an important little thing, and I think that we should talk about it. So if someone had low SHBG, this could mean that free testosterone is maybe higher in the body, indicating hyperandrogenism, aka too many androgens. So if you were experiencing something like symptoms of having excess androgens that we talked about, this might be something that your doctor wants to check just to see what's going on. But there are also things that we can do to support healthy levels of androgens and SHBG. One of them is weight loss. And I always want to be super careful when I talk about this one. But I would also be doing a bad job if I didn't talk about it and your doctor did or your neighbor gave you some really bad weight loss advice. Weight loss, if appropriate, needs to be done in a way that supports the body as a whole. This means still eating enough and eating regular meals and not cutting calories way down. Remember, 
We need to support your metabolism for a healthy cycle. And when you cut out too many calories or entire food groups, you are likely not getting enough nutrition for a healthy metabolism. And this can result in downregulation of the metabolism, making it harder for your body to function as it's meant to. Similarly, if you don't feel like weight loss is either one, appropriate for you right now, or two, not something that makes sense for your current life, I support you. There are other things that we can do. And like I always say, healthy behaviors are the absolute most important thing that we can do whether or not they result in weight loss is beside the point. Number two is inositol, and this is a compound found naturally in foods, but it can also be taken as a supplement. It may help to improve insulin levels and insulin resistance in those with PCOS, along with support healthy androgen levels when combined with a healthy diet. Of course, if you are planning to try a supplement, I encourage you to first talk with your doctor or dietitian. But these inositols can also be found naturally in foods such as fruits, beans, grains, and nuts, so you can get them from your diet. Vitamin D is another nutrient that has been proposed to support SHBG and healthy androgen levels in those with PCOS. There have been mixed results with regards to studies, but the idea is that adequate vitamin D supports healthy glucose metabolism and insulin resistance, which is incredibly important for both SHBG and androgen levels. While much more research is needed on this subject, some studies found that supplementing vitamin D may help. However, others found that it didn't produce good enough results. Like many supplements, it can be helpful to determine what you need personally. Checking for vitamin D deficiency would be a good place to start with this, and then possibly supplement as needed pending the recommendations from your dietitian or doctor. Getting adequate food sources of vitamin D is always a good idea, as well as getting sunlight during the day. If you are like me and live at a higher latitude where this is difficult in the winter, then ensuring adequate amount of vitamin D through food or supplement is important. Good food sources of vitamin D are foods like cod liver oil, salmon, swordfish, tuna, vitamin D fortified orange juice, dairy, sardines, beef liver, egg yolk, and fortified cereal. Vitamin D can also be negatively affected by stress, so it's always a good idea to check in with your brain, body, and heart and make sure you are doing okay in this arena. Because we can't eat or supplement our bodies out of a stressful situation, we do have to address the stress. Another thing that may be helpful is probiotics and symbiotics. Probiotics are the live microorganisms that we can introduce into our digestive system. Symbiotics are a combination of probiotics and prebiotics. Prebiotics being the fermentable fibers in certain foods that then feed the probiotics. These have both been studied and talked about for many different health concerns, including PCOS, but again, we of course need more information. The reason that we need more information is that there are a lot of different strains of microorganisms when it comes to probiotics, and certain strains are good for some things while other strains are good for others. So this is definitely something to keep in mind if you are purchasing a probiotic. That's not to say that they are inherently bad, but to say that it does take some digging, some personalization, an assessment of everything you are experiencing with PCOS and otherwise to determine the right strain that might be helpful for you. However, in general, fermented foods with naturally containing probiotics can be a really great addition for a number of health conditions, support the body's inflammatory response, decrease inflammation, and benefit PCOS. In some cases, probiotics may help to increase SHBG. Some foods that naturally contain probiotics include yogurt, kefir, miso, kimchi, sauerkraut, and tempeh. And last, having a diet full of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and healthy proteins and fats. I know, 
It's not that sexy. But making sure that you are getting all of these foods in your diet will help you to make sure that you have all of the micronutrients that you need to support a healthy cycle and hormone balance. When it comes to PCOS, the body might need a little extra help and support from nutrition so that it can continue to have appropriate inflammatory responses and have healthy hormone regulation and production. And one very important thing is blood sugar control. This is huge because insulin resistance is a factor and possible contributor to PCOS. It's important that we consider it when talking about supporting our body's hormone health within PCOS. To better support you in this area, next week we will have the amazing Laura Barty, dietitian and blood glucose extraordinaire on the podcast to go way more in depth to how to use nutrition to better support your blood sugar management with or without PCOS. I don't share all of this today because I want you to hyper-focus on specific lab values that your doctor may or may not pull, but because it's important for you to understand the whole picture of your body. And because if your doctor does decide to check out some of these labs, I want you to understand what they mean. When it comes to the menstrual cycle, there are so many different variables that we need to consider, but it appears that SHBG may actually give insight into someone's PCOS and help us understand exactly what is going on with your body. Recent research has even shown that SHBG may be an important indicator of severity of PCOS and possible complications. If you are concerned about PCOS, it's important to make sure that you are tracking your cycles, your symptoms, and keeping a log of when different signs or symptoms occur. The more information that you can present at a doctor's visit, the better off you will be, and you may even save yourself an additional visit because honestly, they might tell you to do all these things and come back in a couple more cycles. But if you have been feeling like something is off, you notice your cycles are irregular, or you are concerned about PCOS, it's always a good idea to chat with your doctor about these concerns so that you can start taking action to support your hormone health and hopefully limit any further concerns down the road. Similarly, chatting with your dietitian or reaching out to a dietitian to address some of these concerns, because as we talked about today, nutrition can have a beautiful impact and make a really big difference when it comes to PCOS. Dealing with hormonal issues is never easy, but you are not alone. PCOS is one of the most common hormonal endocrine disorders among menstruators of reproductive age, and it's estimated that between 5 to 10% of menstruators of reproductive age have it, which is why I believe it's necessary that we talk about it, understand what the body is going through, and support it in the best way we possibly can. By the way, if you want to have kids, PCOS doesn't mean that you can't have them. I can't tell you how many women that I knew in college whose doctor told them because you have PCOS, you can't get pregnant. And while it can impact fertility, taking steps now to support your overall health, hormone health, and fertility can provide a huge benefit. And the more that we can provide education on this topic, I think the better off we will be in supporting our bodies and supporting healthy pregnancies and fertility. As we wrap up our first episode of season two, I want to say thank you so much for being here and listening and taking the time to care about and support your cycle, hormone health, and fertility. I can't wait for the episodes to come, and I hope you find them encouraging, supportive, educational, and just a conversation with your bestie. Have a wonderful week, and happy hormones.